clap in one, two, three. And then let's clap in one, two, three. I forgot to say it. <laughs> I forgot to say three. Well, that's okay. I, I clapped on three. Okay. <laughs> it was an implied three. Anyway, welcome back to Detroit Strange. This podcast. The one that you're listening to. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. Yes. So we are recording this on the Monday after elections, and we mm-hmm. have a new president-elect! I was crying tears of joy all Saturday, uh, mostly just watching people's videos and reaction videos and things like that. Yeah. London had a there fucking fireworks so display, apparently. Yeah. No, there was a couple places in England that had fireworks, and then the Eiffel Tower was ringing, like, um, yes. church bells. Yep. <laughs> Like I Paris forget which so late happy. night show. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Everyone's happy except for Trumpers. It's insane. Like the world is literally happy about. Not. I mean, there there are people who are not happy about it, but it's far less than the number of people who are happy about it. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Trumpers, China and Russia, yeah, are the ones yeah. not great, not happy because they're the only two world leaders. It sounds like they haven't reached out to thank Bi- or to congratulate Biden. Hmm. It really, the whole thing really made me, and maybe this is my naivety, but like, it really made me feel like it just shows that there's more people who care about other people Mm -hmm. and not necessarily like their own positions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I don't know. I don't want to get too political, but like voting on one issue is not a great idea. You have to look at the broad spectrum of things. Yes. And yeah. Yes. I won't say too much, but it made me it made me think that people care about other people or feel that the majority of people care about other people and just a sigh of relief. Yes. There's still a lot to, you know, work on oh going my forward. God. And I'm like only imagining the try and shit he's gonna try and pull and like as a lame duck president just sitting there. I mean uh, already. <laughs> yeah. I just I just hope that there are more news conferences held at landscape companies. That's all I hope for over the next two months. Uh, I mean, I don't. Did I tell you how I found out? Uh, No. Ricky's been staying with me this weekend and we were watching like he had something playing on YouTube on the TV. And then I was playing my switch on the couch, just like tune it in and out of what's happening to the TV. And all of a sudden there's an abrupt change at what was playing on the TV and the volume was really loud. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And I just hear Ricky yell from the bathroom, Ricky, they call or Alex, they called it. And I'm like, what? And I looked up and saw Biden. One. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. It's a lie from my bathroom. I don't even know how I want. I, f- I feel like everything, all the news came at me all at the same time. So I don't even actually know the source that told me. Yeah. I feel like I, I simultaneously got a text, was on some sort of social media, and also just, I don't know. I told a coworker that it was, I felt like, I imagined it was going to feel like that scene in Mamma Mia at the end of the first one, where they're like dancing, all of a sudden the plaza cracks, and Aphrodite! (laughs) Her fountain, they find her fountain, everyone's dancing in celebration. I mean, it was like that in many cities. Yes. Uh, Like... Our friend Esther, she was posting like videos of like L.A. Uh, uh-huh. I saw some some people, you know, in New York. I know like Chicago, like all the all the Philadelphia. Uh, I think there's some some 
fun in Atlanta that I saw later. Yeah. It's been a lot of celebrating. Yeah. What a wild ride. And the weird thing is, I don't I didn't actually check right before this. I don't even think the count is officially done. Oh, no. And somebody brought up the fact that Alaska might flip still because they had a couple days or like a day and a half ago, they had one hundred and ten thousand mail in ballots that still had not even been started and counting. And Mm. they were mostly from territories that are a little bit more liberal. I guess it's possible still. I'm looking at it now and 58% reporting Trump has 118,000 and Biden has 64,000. But, but again, that 110? Yeah, that's like well, it's, I never thought that like Georgia or Pennsylvania like he was so far behind in both of those at beginning and then mm-hmm. like by the end he had caught up and I was like, "Yes." Yeah, well it was it was wild cuz Georgia was always within like a thousand or like twelve hundred votes for like yeah. the longest time, and I do feel like everybody kind of wasn't watching it quite as much because it was so tight. Yeah, and everybody was like, you know, we were all like Nevada, Nevada, Nevada. Oh my god, yeah, we were all. And then yeah, Georgia and Pennsylvania sneaking in there. It it was funny almost like it was one of those things like nobody could write that right, but it just. Uh, and then the TikToks to follow. Yeah. <laughs> Chef's kisses everywhere. I think my favorite one that I've seen is like, it was using the where's the love sound. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Like that sound effect. Uh, it was like two annoying looking white women wearing Trump hats, like with bags, like saying, us on our way to oh. Canada when Biden, lo- or when Biden wins. And then a Canadian pops up, he's like, just saying, as a Canadian, fly, uh, kindly fuck off, basically. And then, but maybe Mexico, or the Mexico, like someone from Mexico came on and was like, "No, no, don't even think about it." But maybe Australia, then Australia came on, and was like, "Oh, good day, mate. Now it's gonna be a no for us." China, Zealand. She tells them to piss off. <laughs> piss off, yeah. And then yeah. New Zealand. That's actually my favorite. And then you sent me the follow up with the New Zealander or the Kiwi, as the it Kiwi. were, yeah. <laughs> saying no. Oh, we're full. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, couldn't possibly. So now it's on the UK, I think. Yeah, I love that chain so me much. Me too. Oh. But why would they think that Canada was a good idea? Right. Like the reason people were threatened if Trump won is because Canada is not Trump. Canada's still not Trump. You know? No. Nobody's trying to make Canada great again. Canada's fine. Canada's doing great. Canada's pretty good. Yeah. Most of the people seem pretty happy with how things are going and people have rights and liberty. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wild ride. Yes. I mean, politics are never perfect, but again, we're in a better place and that's where we really, we need to focus and we need to keep focusing on politics and, you know, keep yeah. as communities paying attention and yep. being active. Yeah, I definitely think that a lot of people are going to be more politically aware moving forward and try and stay more informed. Because I know I wasn't doing great before these past four years. I'll be the well, first. Well, it's been to depressing. That. Well, no, I'm saying even before these first four years, oh, I wasn't okay. paying as close of attention as I should. And then these past mm-hmm. four years. Maybe paid too close of attention because I was always stressed, but I'm starting to find a happy medium. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think um, 
Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've covered what we need to cover in that aspect. Anything Definitely. else from this weekend that exciting? Any second place news, honorable mentions, if you will? No, I mean, that was the big thing. I did meet with some like quotation mark fam for uh-huh. a hike yesterday. Nice. Yeah, my friend Christina, her brother, his daughter, uh, and then also Christina's boyfriend. Are you yes. saying that he could take his daughter for a walk? What? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> there was, um, I think it was part of like that Justin Timberlake song that Jay-Z was on where he's like, can't even take my daughter for a walk. Oh. For a long time, one of my long running bits was just like, God, shit. Like just out of nowhere. I'm like, what? I'm like, I can't even take my daughter for a walk. Got it. Yeah. You uh, know I don't know popular music that well. I know. This was also from like five years ago, too. I don't know what you kids listen to. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm definitely not hip and with it by any means. Other than TikTok keeps me. TikTok keeps me young. Ooh. I hate that we talk about TikTok so much, we but really I also do. don't hate it. Because it also is the only reason I know any kind of music whatsoever. Yeah. I feel like, you know what it is? It's like an, a, an hors d'oeuvre platter. Like, it gives you just a little snippet of whatever. Yeah. Whether it be actual information or just entertainment or whatever. But it's just like a little taster. And then it kind of causes me to go actually look into things. Or yeah. actually oh, research definitely. things if I want to know more. And and also, I think it's seeing the people. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why it really took off so much during... Mm-hmm. quarantines well and there's like people are off many people i'm not gonna say you can't generalize but like many people are very authentic on there and i think it's refreshing because it's a little different than other forms of social media where i think people are trying to represent their life in a certain yeah dream kind of way tiktok is definitely the sweatpants of the social media world yeah i mean so many people go on there just literally like however they are whenever they want to yeah. make their video there's definitely some dreamy ones too and i don't mind a mixture of that in there but i think it's the authenticity of some people yeah. that's just like super refreshing i think so too and i think like i talk about all the time the algorithm it just knows exactly what you need mm-hmm. it like it's things i didn't know i wanted but tiktok was like nope this is what you need now i know i mean i'm a witch now yeah <laughs> witch talk I'm still gay. A lot of my TikTok is gay. It's either gay, baking, or like sometimes Harry Potter, which I think it gives me more Harry Potter stuff that I'm like actually interested in. But I like most of it. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe I like Harry Potter more than I think I do. I don't know. I've run into some Harry Potter ones too, and I'm not like, I'm fine with Harry Potter, but I've never been like a Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. I've appreciated the genre, I guess. You know, I watched the movies. That's kind of where I not like, seen the last one. I have it on Blu-ray. I'll blend a uh, Blu-ray DVD combo pack, okay. I think, because I bought it when that was a thing. Remember that was the hot thing? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, because it's not on HBO Max anymore. Oh. I didn't even know it was. It was that that was like I think the one of the main reasons why I signed up for HBO Max at the beginning was because they had Harry Potter and I was like in the point of quarantine where I was watching movies I hadn't watched in a while, so I was like, Harry Potter, guess you're next. Uh, and then I watched all of them, and it was great. Uh, but, like, yeah. See, I'm kind of with you. We're like, I'm a fan. I appreciate the movies. I like the books. 
I'm not trying to go to Hogwarts. I'm not trying to be sorted into a house. Mm -hmm. I like just bystanding. That makes sense. Yeah. There's there's too much there for me to really. I'm kind of like that with those big genre yeah. type movies where there's just a ton of them. Like I yeah. can see them and I can appreciate them. Maybe I'll read the books associated with them sometimes mm -hmm. uh, or TV shows, too. But I don't I think because I want to see other things. Yeah. Like I want to invest my time into other creative content as well. So I want to. Yeah, I can't I can't fully invest in that. I don't. Yeah, no, I, that's I was just talking about. I was having this conversation today about Marvel and how like and like because also the Mandalorian. So like Ricky had the Mandalorian on earlier and I'm like, mm -hmm. it looks like a great show. It's really pretty. Well produced, like looks like quality. It's just not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not here for space or spaghetti westerns or really anything that show is, but it looks like a great show. And same with Marvel. I'm like, there's just too much to keep track of where I feel like you have to be all in or all out. And I'm not committed to all in. So I'm just going to I'm going to step out for a minute. I mean, I think I've seen most of the Marvel movies. I can't tell you if I've seen. Actually, I might have seen all of them at this point, but I'm th this is how little my investment is is i'm not yeah. sure if i've seen all of them see i think it would bother me to not know everything and that's oh, why no see because i feel like i'd want to know and so i feel like okay. that's why i can't that's enjoy fair. marvel is because there's no way i'll ever know unless i fully mm -hmm. commit and i'll never commit to that mm -hmm. see i think i'm okay not necessarily knowing stuff because yeah. i mean i was like that with like the lord of the ring well hobbit lord of the rings we'll say world yeah. as well I tried reading The Hobbit and I just couldn't. Oh, I've read The Hobbit multiple times. It was my bedtime story as a child. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. They did that. I also had like a comic book version of it when I was a kid. And I watched that wonky movie from the 70s. Yeah. Of it as a kid. And then when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, it was a, a big thing for my family and Christina's family to go. Yeah. See them together. That's fun. Both of us had one parent who like was like a nerd about it. <laughs> Yeah. With the other parents like appreciating it, but like one parent who was like full in. I'm trying to think if I can like name any of like the fandoms or things that my parents are like. I don't know if there's any like series they're super invested in. Mm -hmm. Like they just like random things. I don't know if there's any like strong correlation. I know my mom used to go to Rod Stewart concerts pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. The only song I know by him is Maggie Mae. Okay, I was. I, gonna say, like I couldn't one. name a song. I mean, I know who Rod Stewart is. Yeah, I don't think I could actually name a song though. Yeah. Now my parents, they definitely have some strong interests. Uh, definitely, my mom real into sci-fi. Both of them like the fantasy, like world, like Lord of the Rings, like Middle okay. Earth, and things like that. My mom, her sci-fi series knowledge, I don't even because I like didn't get into it. So that stuff, it's, yeah, I know it's there. Yeah. And like Doctor Who and, you know, like all that kind of stuff, which I've seen some of the Doctor Who seasons in particular, though. Yeah. Matt Smith. I like I like him as the Doctor Who. And with music, my dad was really into music. So but he had mm -hmm. like a lot of a lot of interest, we'll say. I'll say this. My dad's the same way. My first concert was Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> really? My first concert was either Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. It was only because I was eight. My dad couldn't find a babysitter. And for some reason, my mom like couldn't go or something anymore. And so it came down to like 
him not going or him taking his eight year old <laughs> to go see Jimmy Buffett. I mean, he seems like he'd be okay for an eight year old. I don't think he's doing anything. It was fine. But I'd like to know how deep your parents' love of Jimmy Buffett runs because they now live in Margaritaville. They do, but the weird thing is, like, they're not—they're not complete parrot heads. Like, they've always had appreciation. They like the vibe, but they're not like crazy about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad's also gone through. He went through a Grateful Dead phase, but he went through it very late. I will say though, he does have like a lot of like loud Hawaiian shirts and stuff now. It's a very dad thing. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like in retirement, they started going on cruises and then he also started getting a lot of loud shirts. Yeah, they're all like either Grateful Dead tie dye t-shirts. or Yeah, or there's some sort of pattern Hawaiian type shirt. See, my dad like was like growing up, I feel like he was much more like rock. I remember he had like the Leonard Skinner box set. He had like Mm -hmm. Queen's Greatest Hits. Some of like the more modern stuff. He. Like, there's a couple bands that I like now that I can contribute to him, like Cake. Like, I love the band Cake because he always had Cake CDs in his I car. I love Cake. Me too. Me too. There was one band, I like only remember one song because it had like the coolest album artwork. It was that like, the band was like called The Tragically Hip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I know, I'm not, I was not a big fan of The Tragically Hip, but I'm w- well aware, we'll say. Yeah. But That's at funny. some point, there was a flip switch and he just went full country. And I'm like, ugh. That's we interesting. Have had it all. <laughs> yeah, my dad definitely liked um he liked rock, but he also was really into like folk music when I was growing up. But he, he I learned the word eclectic from my dad because that's how he would refer to his music genres uh-huh. of choice when I was growing up. He also almost became a music teacher, so he was like Love that for him. Into music. Yeah. As I'm sitting here using a Zoom that has some of his songs on it, I'm like, love this for him. Yeah. You can cut that if he doesn't want that being put on blast. No, that's fine. Well, now he okay. writes his own music. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Hot takes from the band Mumford and Sons. I, at first, was not not opposed to him, but just, like, not interested. It's fine background music, mm-hmm. but it didn't really do anything for me. I feel like 2012, 2013, maybe even 2011 to 2014, like, that, like, the early 2000s, I feel like folk was kind of like making a like that weird, like kind of folksy rock where like, like, oh, yeah. like little like Mumford and Sons, Lumineers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I wanted to like it because it was very the thing to like. But looking back, mm-hmm. I was like, if I never hear another Mumford and Sons song again, I'm a OK. That that whole time period is fine. And it was all yeah. music that I was like. This is fine. Like, I didn't dislike it. But when it comes to folk music, I mean, there's some new folk musicians that I do like. I can't off the top of my head say anything. Trixie Mattel. Well, there, yeah. Tart chopping folk artist. Trixie Mattel. There you go. But also just like the older folk music. Yeah. Is really good. Not all. I mean, you can't say all of it, but a lot of it is really good. Yeah. Folk music. (laughs) Yes. Uh, unless it gets too twangy and then I do kind of like, I don't mind some twang for sure, but sometimes I get weird with twangs. Yeah. It's like dubstep. And let me tell you why. <laughs> I like where this is going. Cause when dubstep was really popular, the wub, 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 wubs, that's the parallel I'm drawing is the wub, wubs and the, uh-huh. and the, Naturally. the twang. 
<laughs> they're tools and can be used well, but if you put too much or just like a bad combo, it's mm-hmm. not great. Well, it becomes like, distracting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's good wub wubs and bad wub wubs. <laughs> That's a life rule right there. Yeah. I'm looking for only good wub wubs. Good wub wubs only. 2020, nothing but good wubs. Oh, uh, well, and on that note. Yeah. I was going to say on that note, I've got some Crane Lake Cab Sav. That's like the Western market version of a two buck chalk or three buck chalk or oh, yeah. whatever I've inflation has happened to buck chucks. Mm-hmm. I think it's like $3. I think it's three buck chalk. Three buck chalk now. But okay. I think there's two different brands. There's like, and they're both Charles Shaw, but there's one that's $3 and there's one that's four. The label's Damn. different, I think. Charles Shaw Premium is the other one. They use actual grapes, not just like fruit snacks. <laughs> not just the tears of grapes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just having a cheap red wine and a creep it real stemless wine glass because I can't give up Halloween, apparently. How about you? Fair. I am running out of almost everything right now and just didn't feel like replenishing. Fair. That was That was me last month. I do have a little whiskey in here. So if I feel like sipping, I have this. I might just stick with my water, though. Yeah. I don't know. It's whiskey, but it's also really a Manhattan. Work. I had a Manhattan yesterday. It should still be good, right? They can't Give go bad shake. in a flask. Give it a shake, yeah. Oh, that's smart. Not a shake. You're not supposed to shake Manhattans, but like a, maybe some inversions. I'm just tapping it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just going to test it in here. I might give it a small sip. Ooh, dear. Okay. Bringing it back to stories. Let's take it to the stories. Take it to the story. Story. I love stories. So I've got another scheme queen for you. I've decided that's what I'm calling them. Scheme queen. Okay. Her name is Isma Martin. Have you ever heard of her? I have not. New bitch, who it is? I like these stories. She was a late 1800s con artist that operated in the Midwest. I love her nickname. Do you want to know what it is? I, yes. The Notorious Adventuress. Ooh. Like. Oh. That might be my new Twitter bio. Notorious Adventuress. (laughs) I like it. That's actually my fragrance. (laughs) Notorious Adventuress. I like it. danger. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I can imagine the commercial now. Yeah. We're going to move on before we start talking about perfume ads because I could go off too long. But <laughs> going to start talking about Isma Martin. She was born Ismania, Ismenia, Ismenia, T. Martin, okay. in 1871 to Joseph and Francis Martin. She was one of seven children of the family. And uh, she got her start in crime early on with her five-finger discount. She was light-fingered, as they called her, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And in her teen years, like, things just slowly escalated. When you start finger, disc- five-finger discounting. Yeah, I, finger is not a good verb. It's not a good no. verb. It's finger is a verb that you should use very sparingly, and I keep using it as a verb. You should be careful with that one. When you're stealing things in Detroit as a child, it usually escalates from there. That's exactly what happened in her teen years. Okay. In 1890, so she'd be about 19 at the time, she went to the ticketing agent at for the Detroit Grand Haven Mil- Milwaukee Railroad at the train station. Mm-hmm. 
she borrowed a child. Don't know where. Uh, <laughs> she borrowed a no. child. Yeah, she borrowed a child to add some credibility to her story. And she claimed that she was a destitute single mother desperately trying to get to Chicago, but she just couldn't afford the ticket. Mm-hmm. She said that her name was Fanny Brennan, Brennan being her mother's maiden name. And she said that she couldn't pay in cash, but she had some furniture that she could have sent to the company when she arrived in Chicago. Oh, and so the guy was like, okay, I guess, sure. She got as far as signing her name, which she fucked up and wrote Fanny Martin instead of Fanny Brennan. And so that's when he got suspicious, called the police. And the police, they already, like, they had done noon about her. Mm -hmm. Noon being the new verb. They had done, Mm -hmm. they had known about her. Yeah. And they came and arrested her. She got a mugshot taken, apparently. One of the things I'll get to later, she was very particular and she would not allow any images of her to be taken down. So taken down or taken, taken. Oh, okay. So she okay, would like, okay. we'll get to it later. But so I was kind of surprised when she said she got a mugshot, unless it was the one mugshot that she had taken in her life. And again, I'll talk to that in a minute. Yeah. But she didn't end up serving a time, and the judge took mercy on her, saying that there wasn't enough evidence, and technically, no goods or money were actually exchanged. Like the police were called before anything actually happened. So they're like, "We'll let you go with a warning, dear girl." Mm-hmm. But just to show you that the Detroit had already had enough of her shit, the Free Press ran an article titled Isma Martin Again. That's <laughs> it. Isma Martin Again. Wow. Which also makes me wonder what else she tried before this to get the nick the headline. Isma Martin again. Like what yeah, does she like, do? People would have remembered that name enough, you know? To have a a reputation like throughout the city. And I know obviously at that time period it wasn't yeah, as it wasn't big, as hard. But yeah. still. Yeah. That's not good. Some other job she pulled off in Detroit is what she once stole $8,000 worth of diamonds from Frank Leslie's wife. And wait, like $8,000 in those? Yeah. So I adjusted for oh inflation, and it would be a little less than $230,000 these days. <gasps> That's how many diamonds she stole. So they said from Frank Leslie's wife. So I was like, who the hell is Frank Leslie? Why do I care about him? Yeah. All I could really find that he was a business scion. So apparently he had an illustrated newspaper, which maybe that's how he made his fortune. But it wasn't really clear who this Frank Leslie was. But. Weird. He had enough money to buy 8,000 worth of diamonds for his wife. Damn. But she was caught and she escaped arrest by just returning the diamonds. So basically it sounds like she... When she got caught, she'd be like, all right, you caught me, and just kind of, like, undo what she had done. She just hit Control-Z on her action. They would, like, slap her wrist. Exactly. Mm, Cool. Yeah. So we're going to jump forward just a little bit when she gets into her 20s, and she kind of learned from her train ticket debacle not to overcomplicate things and just, instead of choosing a fake last name, Martin was generic enough. Like, the name Martin. How many Martins do you know, last name-wise? Like a ton, right? Or at least a, at least a couple. It, yeah, it's not unheard of. Right. Like, it's not Smith by any means, like but it's common Ricky. enough. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or, what's his name? The guy who plays The Hobbit. Oh, um... Martin Lawrence. Nope, that's totally nope. different. Nope. And um, I was gonna say, or the guy who wrote Game of Thrones. George R.R. R. Martin. Yep. He was in Sherlock, too. Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember that guy. 
and i love him too yeah no i like him too um i've heard his name recently too so this is gonna bother me i'm looking it up because it's gonna kill me if i don't i think his first name might be martin i think so too He's a really good actor. Martin Freeman is his name. There we go. Yes. Last name is not Martin. Okay. Anyway, Martin's a somewhat common last name. So she decided, mm-hmm. I don't have to change Martin. I just have to pretend to be from a different Martin family. And so like this strategy ended up working really well for her. To prepare for this, she studied the Detroit City Directory to learn the details of any Martins in the city. So she could use the info when she needed. Like, So if she, you know, oh, I'm like Jan Martin. Who lives on Grashit, and then like mm-hmm. she gives that information, and then she flees town. They go looking for Jan Martin, and they just show up some random house. Like that's a solid strategy back in those days, when especially when like pictures weren't a thing. Oh, for sure, that, as prevalent. It's always so shocking to me, though, the amount of work that goes into like a good con artist. Yeah, because if that amount of work went into other ventures, yep. they probably would be yeah. successful. Like. I mean, schemer's going to scheme, though. Yeah. So her next big job would take place in Grand Rapids. So she managed to get approximately $2,000 out of a high society women there. I've been watching a lot of Ina Garten lately because, like, the way I wrote my notes is, like, she managed to get approximately $2,000 from high society women there. I'm like, let me tell you how she did it. (laughs) Because Ina always, like, pulls something in the fridge. is like, oh, look at this gorgeous whatever thing I made. Let me show you how I made it. So Mm -hmm. anyway. So it's 1897 now. Isma's about 26. And she met a woman by the name of Gertrude Anderson, a high society woman that she convinced that she was the daughter of Detroit police chief, John Martin. So. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Luckily, apparently there's a lot of famous Martins in Detroit at the time. So she picked the police chief. Uh, So they met at a boarding house and Isma convinced Gertrude that she had a brother who made bikes in Cleveland and that she could get her a great deal on a bike. And nobody likes turning down a bargain. Mm hmm. So Gertrude, not wanting to miss out on this great deal, of course, forked over the $38 and like even was like, my friends want to buy some. Can they buy some? Of course they can buy some. Give me that money. Right. So that was her bike scheme in Grand Rapids. She also claimed that she worked for a company called Home Life Insurance Company of New York and that she sold life insurance. Naturally. And she told... Gertrude, that her company offered a $200 prize for the salesperson who could sell the most and promised her a $25 finder's fee to help her sell her life insurance policy to all her rich friends. And I was like, did she just accidentally start a pyramid scheme? Is that a pyramid? Is that pyramid or Ponzi? <laughs> I can never remember the difference. Um, Except for the no, geometry. No, a pyramid would mean her friends would also have to sell. Because a pyramid scheme means there's one person on top and then they have two people below them who sell and then they each have like two people below them. So now we're at yeah. six and they're all selling and the money funnels upwards to the yeah. top person, though, no matter what. Yeah. I business is not my strong suit. This isn't a business scheme podcast. Mm-mm. Only legitimate business. Although there is a really good pyramid scheme podcast called The Dream. That talks about um, MLMs. Do they talk about Amway? Um, I think Amway comes... I'm only a couple episodes in. Well, I listened uh-huh. to season two, which is different a little bit. And now I'm listening to season one. I couldn't tell you what Amway did, but I'm guessing nothing good. I think it wasn't as bad as some other ones from what I understand. Yeah. We don't need to get into Amway, though. I don't, no. I don't want Amway coming after me. Amway stands, you know? It's weird that they exist still. Yeah. I don't get it. 
So, okay, so the two would go out and sell policies together to Grand Rapids residents. So they... Okay. Things kind of went to shit when John Martin, the Detroit police chief she claimed was her father, I believe, yeah, mm-hmm. caught wind of this, and he tried to telegraph Grand Rapids right away. But Isma, luckily enough, kind of had a sixth sense when she knew the jig was up and to flee town because that's exactly what she did. So she kind of just like, was like, I feel like I'm going to get caught soon. Grabbed her thing, hopped on a train, and left town. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> so her next stop in the Midwest scam tour would be Covington, Kentucky. And so now it's April of 1897. She showed up at the Shea family residence claiming to be Helen Martin, a niece of Captain Stephen Martin of Detroit, who just happened to be a family friend of the Shays. So she's like, hey, I'm the niece of your family's friend. Wow. Ballsy. Right. So the woman of the house, they like didn't they clearly state her name. I think her name was Ella, but the book called her for like the first couple paragraphs. This is again, like a source early. This is from the Wicked Women of Detroit. Also did some okay. Wikipedia, some newspaper reading, but mostly from the book. They mentioned her as the Widow Shea. I think her name's Ella. Either way, she's a widow. And she had two children, but from an affluent family. So that's probably why Isma was like, target picked. Yeah. So she stayed with them. And she also claimed to know the Boltons and the Walkers, who were also two prominent families in Detroit, who, again, were family friends of this family, the Shays. Mm-hmm. And so... Two weeks went by, and the widow Shay whined and dined her. She's like, it's a family friend. We're having a great time. And her daughters, her two daughters, took fondly to their exciting new house guest. Aww. Yeah. And so now May rolls around, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo of that year. And Isma's like, gotta go have a business trip to St. Louis for my mutual life insurance job that I totally have. I'm going to St. Louis to collect and stuff. But she, what she really did, she went to Columbus, Ohio to see the widow Shay's brother, Peter. So she goes to see this woman's brother in Columbus. Okay. Who I'm assuming she learned about while living with the widow Shay, probably. Most likely. Yeah. So she showed up on Peter's doorstep and used her new Covington context along with her Detroit context to establish credibility with Peter. And she stayed there for two weeks, and in that time, she convinced Peter to buy a life insurance policy. Once she had the money for the premiums, she decided to go back to Covington. And this is where it kind of starts catching up with her. Yeah, you're not supposed to return. Yeah, no, she made that mistake. I think she she, she said she was going on a business trip, and so she probably left her stuff there, like most of her stuff. Oh, uh, okay. That was dumb. That was, that's her yeah. bad. yeah. So she told the Shea children that she only spent two nights with her uncle Peter, but then uncle Peter sent a letter saying what talking about the lovely two weeks they spent together. So that's sus. <laughs> sus is a new one. I learned recently. Sus. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Sus. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. She's sus. I'm just going to stare at you blankly and be like, I got you. I like started <laughs> playing among us this weekend, which is actually really fun. We should play sometime, but. You got another word, sus means suspicious. Okay. Anyway, back to the 1800s. Yes. Let's go among them. Yes. In the 1800s. Sorry, that was bad. Among them. Yeah. (laughs) So Ella, the widow Shay, had written to her cousins in Detroit, telling her about her lovely new house guest, Helen, and saying that she would bring her up the next time she came up. She got a reply from her cousins in Detroit, because, you know, male... Even slower than it was now. And basically the reply said, um, 
That's a con artist, fam. Like Helen, <laughs> Helen Martin is the name of a well-known con artist from this part. It's like, don't fuck with her. <laughs> and basically around this time, Isma's sixth sense started going off. She's like, gotta go to Cincinnati for business, deuces. And she left. I don't know if she went back to Covington again after this, or this was like the second time she was in Covington after she spent with Peter. Mm-hmm. But she went back to Covington and met Peter, who had learned of her deception, and went to check on his sister. And okay. he confronted Isma about everything, and she came clean and told him everything and returned his money because that was her strategy in the past. Like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then just gave the shit back and then went on her day. But <laughs> wouldn't work for her this time. So she's Good. like, I'm sorry, here's the money. And also, can you just send my things to the Denison Hotel in Cincinnati? Like, I left them all here. <laughs> I'm fleeing town. Can you just send my things here? <laughs> can you do me a favor? <laughs> right. Sorry, I tried to rob you of your things. My, my bad. bad. I'm leaving. Can you do me a favor and just send all my shit here? Like, <laughs> thanks. Bye. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah bold. Bold. Mm-hmm. So she's in Cincinnati now. It's the end of May, still in 1897. She showed up at the Denison Hotel, still claiming to be Helen Martin. Like, again, I would have changed my name at this point. But she, always scheming, she tried to tuck the front desk clerk out of $5, but was unsuccessful and went out on her day. So shortly after she went about for her day, the scorned widow, Ella Shea, would show up and started asking if Helen had shown up. Is Helen here? Mm. After that, she told the hotel that Helen was actually Isma and that they should call the police immediately. But Isma kind of somehow got wind of it, so she sent a messenger boy to fetch her things rather than going herself. So that's smart. Mm. And it almost worked, but the hotel clerk stalled the messenger boy long enough for Detective Jackson of the Cincinnati police to arrive. The detective starts tailing the boy, who caught on and, being a boy, tried to outrun him and just shake him from the streets of Cincinnati. He eventually got caught, though, and the winded person was like, give her up, give her up. And the boy was like, no, I'm not going to. And he's like, well, then you're going to do jail time. He's like, um, actually, this bitch, let me tell you about She's her. She's right over here. Let me take you. Right. So once they threatened jail time, the messenger boy was like, I'll take you to her. I'm not going to jail for this nonsense. I couldn't possibly. Yeah. Nor should he. Yeah. So Isma was arrested, but it didn't stop the scheming. So basically, when the police showed up, she's like, listen, I am, you know, I want it, but it's just civil matters, nothing serious. I'm still the daughter of high-ranking Detroit cop John Martin. Are you kidding me? Yeah, so she claimed to be, she claimed, tried to be like, daughter of John Martin. Detective Jackson, though, had already exchanged telegrams with the Detroit police and knew exactly who she was and that she was not anyone that she claimed to be other than this bitch, this scheming, notorious adventurous. Wow. Yeah. So her arrest made the news in three cities, Cincinnati, Detroit and Grand Rapids. So now getting to kind of what I mentioned earlier that she like wouldn't cooperate for mug shots or anything that involved taking down her image. She was like, very protective of her image, which was, I think, one of the smartest things she did. Because mm-hmm. there's no record of, like, what you look like. If you keep changing your name, it's not going to catch up with you. As yeah. long as you're smart. She wasn't smart towards the end, and that's how she got caught. Even to the point where, like, during proceedings one day, she noticed that a newspaper artist was sketching her. So she, like, made a scene and covered her face so we couldn't get any further with it. There was, like, 
an image of the book of just like this like mostly finished sketch, but it's an artist sketch. It was like basically like New Yorker one panel cartoon yeah. style quality. So like nothing really that incriminating. But even that, she was like, "No, ma'am, I am not. I'm not okay with this." And like the one mugshot photo, the only known photo of her, because like also ph- photographs back in those days, it was hold still or it'll mm-hmm. be blurry. Yeah. Easy to mess that up on purpose. Exactly. And the one photo they got of her, she just made a really stupid face and distorted it. So it's a useless photo. Like, you don't know what they actually look like. They just look like a dumbass. So that was her one yeah. picture. Wow. So, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why she was able to keep the cons going for so long is because nobody knew what the hell she looked like. She's yeah. a white girl in a dress. That's like whenever I'm trying to like talk about someone from the improv world, I'm like, Oh, he's a white dude. He's got a beard. <laughs> kind of tall-ish. Yeah, m- mostly average height. Yeah, average height, average build. Sometimes have glasses, but mostly mm-hmm. just white dudes with facial hairs. Like plaid shirts over t-shirts? Yep. yep. Yeah. I know that guy. Yeah. I've seen him. I, yeah, basically that's the strategy she used. She was the nondescript white guy in an improv troupe. Well, also then, too, I feel like people were probably... A woman couldn't, you know, get oh, us yeah. that good. They couldn't trick us like that. That dumb broad, she couldn't possibly. But she could, and she did. Mm-hmm. So a month later in June, she stood trial in Grand Rapids and faced off with Gertrude Anderson in court. And she tried mm-hmm. to, like, psych out Gertrude because she like, wore a veil, but just, like, kept staring her down in court, which, like, kind of worked, but not well enough. But then, like, while Gertrude was testifying, she took her lawyer's notepad to write down questions and, like, perfectly crafted questions to try and discredit her and framing her. Like, she was trying to frame Gertrude, like, well, bitch, if I'm a criminal, you're an accomplice. You took the $25 I gave you as a finder's fee. Bitch. Didn't work, though. Didn't work. It was a good try. Because, I mean, Gertrude didn't know. Right. So, like, didn't work. She got arrested put in uh the woman's cell the one woman cell at Kent county jail in grand rapids and she spent nine months there and she stopped eating complained of pains but nobody really listened to her because they knew she was a scam queen so scheme mm-hmm. queen scheme queen i like scheme queen better because it sounds like scream yeah that too yeah. i finished season one. Oh, good yes so then her appeal to the Michigan Supreme Court was denied, and she was sent to the good old Detroit House of Corrections about a year later. I was hoping it would end there. <laughs> it doesn't quite end there, but it definitely Gets there. starts to end there. So in April okay. of 1898, she's sent to the Detroit House of Corrections, and her condition continued to deteriorate in prison until they worried that she might die. So she was released on parole in February of 1899. Right after she was released, she tried to go up to Mackinac Island, but she was chased off the island due to her reputation preceding her. So like, we know who you are. Get out of here, ma'am. Like, because back in those days, Mackinac Island was for the well-to-do to to vacation because like Mm -hmm. rich people in an island with a grand hotel. And horses. Yeah. Horses and fudge. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like, "Uh, not on today, ma'am. You gotta go. That's funny. So then she went back to Detroit to live with her father, and in 1900, as part of the census, she gave her occupation as news reporter. Because apparently she decided to go straight and write for the newspaper. 
I mean, she probably was kind of good at investigative journalism. Instead of making the news, she was writing the news. Yeah. Yeah. She was a confirmed bachelorette, which makes you think, lesbian. Am I right? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But We're just I busy. Hope so. I mean, she could have also been busy. Very true. Very true. <laughs> She's been bouncing everywhere, lying to everybody in jail, out of jail, trying to get the Mackinac, getting kicked off Mackinac. That is a busy life. Not much time for the love. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's not exactly. But yeah. also, I you know, could have been lesbian. Who Just knows? the way they called her a confirmed, confirmed bachelorette, or so they, they used the um... word confirmed. That was very much old timey slang, like a confirmed bachelor. That usually meant like, oh, he gay. Okay. So, I guess I've never heard that term, but it does. I mean, old timey speak is so. Weird. I love old timey term for gay things like confirmed bachelor or. Have you ever heard of a lavender marriage? Um, I think from you actually. I probably sent you that TikTok. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Basically, real quick, lavender marriage mm-hmm. were very popular. Hollywood. Yes, they were v- very popular in Hollywood in like the early 1900s because especially after like the the movie code or the moral code for movies was posted and everyone had to be decent. So, because mm-hmm. of those raunchy 30s. Right. Studios didn't want any like indecency things to come out of their actors. They would put them in lavender marriages where one or both parties are homosexual and both parties know. So it's like a marriage of convenience between homosexuals. Just to like kind of cover. It's a PR thing. Yeah, exactly. But that's also too when like movie stars had stuff built into their contracts that they could or could not do certain things. They had to yeah. do X amount of movies with that studio and they had to like live a certain way. Like they yeah. weren't allowed to be seen like smoking or like doing this in public or this right. or that. And yeah. Yeah. So of course, lavender marriages were popular back then. Mm-hmm. But that's a long tangent to say that she. Became dedicated to her job at the Free Press until her death in 1931 when she was 58 years old. That's wild. Yeah, so that's the story of the notorious adventuress who avoided having her image documented successfully and was one of the best scheme queens that the Midwest has ever seen. So wait, even once she like became a working professional or whatever you want to say, like a legit she went journalist or whatever, she still didn't have her photograph taken? No. That's really weird. Yeah. So was she always maybe planning for just like one last con? Maybe. You never know. Yeah, I'll post the pictures after this episode. But uh, yeah. Or, yeah. But again, I mentioned my sources earlier. Wicked Room in Detroit by Tobin T. Book. Newspaper.com for Detroit Free Press and Cincinnati Inquirer articles. And then and that is a story of Isma Martin, scheme queen extraordinaire. That was fun. Right? Well, that was really well done. Thank you. Uh, very exciting. I love hearing new things. Right? Me too. That's why we do this podcast. We like learning. Yeah. It's like a book report every other week for... It really is. It really is. I wouldn't be learning that stuff otherwise, but I do want to learn that stuff, so it forces me to learn it, which is nice. Right. But anyway, you, of course, have earned yourself a two truths and a lie. Hell yeah. Sometimes your t- previous week will inspire my week. Uh, this one, well, inspires a weird word because it, it's a sad one, but you were you were paying honor to somebody who had passed. Exactly. And I'm also going to pay honor uh, to somebody who's passed. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, Alex Trebek 
um, passed on Sunday. Yeah. But wonderful man. So I felt he deserved a little definitely uh, tribute and recognition. He does for sure. Podcast out of Detroit, Michigan. He's a legend icon star. (laughs) He really is. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Fact number one. Uh, Alex Trebek was born in Ontario, Canada to a French Canadian and Ukrainian immigrant and grew up in a bilingual household. Okay. Fact number two. The first job he had in television was on game shows in Canada. Okay. And fact number three. He spent 40 years as the Jeopardy host, during which he was nominated for the Outstanding Game Show Host Daytime Emmy Award 28 times, winning the award six. Hmm. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I mean, you had to. It was, you had no choice. Yeah, I'd feel wrong if I didn't. Oh, I would feel wrong if you didn't, too. Hmm. Can you also answer in the form of a question, please? I feel like number one has to be true because just of the way he pronounces things that aren't English on the show, like he overemphasizes those words. And I love it every time. He's like the salsa. Or just like, just he like puts a weird emphasis on words that aren't English and accent. Okay. I always mm-hmm. appreciate the effort. So I feel like the number one's got to be true. I want to say number three is the lie, because I feel like the number of wins, I don't know, 28 to six. It seems like he either would have won more times or less times. Uh, actually, that one is true. The times he won were 1989, 1990, 2003, six, eight, and 19. Uh, he also received three nominations for the award for his time hosting Classic Concentration, another show uh, from 1988 to 91. And he was awarded the daytime Emmys lifetime achievement award in 2011. As he should. He deserves all the lifetime achievements for hosting Jeopardy for like 40 years. Honestly, because if he, I think it started in the eighties, like 80, right? Uh, 84. Okay. So Mm -hmm. almost 40 years. Yeah. 36, but okay. A long time. Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to guess number two then. I think number one's true. Uh, number two is the lie. And yeah. it's actually that he did host other game shows before Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Jeopardy again, 1984, the game shows were called Reach for the Top, Jackpot, The Wizard of Odds. That's my favorite one. That is pretty fun. High Rollers, The $128,000 Question, Pitfall, strateg- and Strategy. But his first job in television was in 1963 when he appeared on the Canadian music program known as Music Hop. And it was basically oh kind of like Canadian American Bandstand. Oh so he'd like talk God. to musicians and stuff. Yeah. And then they'd play. And I love that for him. The teens would scream. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but he was only on there for one season and then he was replaced. But they you know, knew. their loss are game. He was destined for game shows. Yeah, 20, 20 years later, our game, but still, we'll take it. Yeah. So first one was true, though. Uh, his mom was a Lucille Trebek, a French-Canadian. His dad, George Trebek, a Ukrainian immigrant who was a chef. At 12, he actually left Ontario to attend boarding school in Ottawa. It was called the University of Ottawa High School. He graduated in 57, but continued his education there for like university, university level. Yeah. Studied philosophy before deciding to pursue a career in journalism. Nice. Yeah. Got a couple other fun facts, too. 
2014, he beat Bob Barker's record for hosting more episodes of the same game show program than anyone else in history. Nice. And then just kept ranking those numbers up. Oh, yeah. I think he's going to hold that one for a long time. I think so, too. I mean, that's like dedication. And and we all know nobody stays in the same job for. Oh, no. That long anymore. Yeah. He also has been known for his philanthropy, particularly in regards to the environment. Love that. Yeah. In 1998, he donated 74 acres of open land to the Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy. And it was located in Hollywood Hills and valued at more than $2 million at that time. Damn. Yeah. What a great pick for two yeah. truths and a lie. He will be greatly missed. Well, I know that you've watched a lot of Jeopardy. I know I really like watching Jeopardy. I love Jeopardy. Love it. It's one of the most exciting things to be like looking through the TV and just see Jeopardy's on. You're like, oh, of course I'm going to stop at Jeopardy now. Like back in the days when we used to like flip channels more. Oh, yeah. It was always the best moment to find that. And then actually one time my friend Christina and I were in a final Jeopardy answer. I think I've told you that story. No, you didn't. Oh, my God. I what? <laughs> I don't think so. This story's wild. So I was uh, so I don't know, years ago, like Christina and I went down to Chicago. To, this sounds like a weird start, but it makes sense to Chicago to run a 10K just mm-hmm. for like her birthday for fun and stuff like that. Yeah. And this was like when Lyft and stuff was kind of newer to like the Midwest region. Yeah. And so we were getting a lift back to like downtown where we were staying And there was this girl who was struggling to get a lift or a taxi or anything. And she asked us, she said, are you, did you guys find like an actual car to come pick you up? Because I I can't find anything and I'm trying to get back downtown. And we're like, we did. Why don't you just come with us? Yeah. Which, you know, you go with your gut. And so she, she came in the car with us and it was actually like a 20 minute drive. So it was a decent amount of time. So we started talking with her. Uh Her name was Liz. She was from Kansas. Her and her boyfriend came to Chicago for the weekend. And then they were going to California where she was going to be a contestant on Jeopardy. Oh my God. Yeah. She actually was on a few episodes too, because she did win at least her first episode. I think she was on three times though. So I think she got, yeah. Nice. And she was like, I don't have any cash though. I can't. I can't pay you. And this is, again, pre like Venmo and stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, don't worry about it. Like, just pay it forward or something at some time. And Christina made the joke. Or you could just thank us on Jeopardy. Uh, but and then so, she did. Yeah. Her final answer was whatever the answer was. I can't even remember because apparently I don't care about that part. But at the bottom, it said, hi, Christina and Jess or Jessica, like scribbled in. Oh, my God. And did she tell the story? She didn't. She told a story about like meeting a dog in Peru, like during her like storytelling yeah. time. Yeah. And it was it was a nice story. It was like a dog she met in Peru and like on the um way to Machu Picchu and the dog followed her for like a long time. And there was like a whole kismet thing happening there. So it was it was a nice story. Yeah. Honestly, the interview portion is my least favorite part of Jeopardy. I'm like, I don't really care because a lot of the times <laughs> the stories are real dumb. Not a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but like sometimes I'm like. Has nothing else happened in your life where you felt the need that this is the story you're going to tell? But mm-hmm. also, who am I to judge? I'm not on Jeopardy. I'm just on a podcast. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I like playing along, but I the, the tests even to get on it are very yeah. difficult. I've heard. I've never tried them myself. At one point during quarantine, I got in a huge Jeopardy phase and was not only watching on the TV, but also keeping score as if I was playing like a sociopath. 
No, that's fine. I think that's fine. I think that's quite all right. And I think Alex would approve. Okay. As long as Alex would approve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love that story. But I think that pretty much wraps us, right? I think we are definitely wrapped. Just in time. For what? I don't know. But just in time. Yeah. Just in time. Mm -hmm. So if you want to find us on our social medias, it's at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address is DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And please subscribe, rate, review. Uh, it does help us a lot. Uh, yeah. or if you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can also check out our Patreon. Go patreon.com slash Detroit Strange. There's always the Threadless shop. DetroitStrange.threadless.com. And if there's anything you'd like to see, let us know. Yeah. Email box, always open. Yeah. We love talking, clearly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think. Until next time. Until next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Detroit duo Sax and Violence.